Chapter 6 We will feed you to the trees. Don't think of it as death, I say, checking the shackles on the doctor's hands. Think of it as being in service to a miracle. He doesn't answer, and I don't blame him. Our ways probably seem fair old-fashioned to an outsider, and he looks outsider to his core, with his long coat and his wide hat and his vest, covered in question marks of all things. The good people of Outsmarway wear sturdy wool and good leather boots, simple clothes, the kind that will take care of you if you take care of them. We're not question mark kind of people. It's winter. The sky is that blue you only get on winter mornings, glassy and glacial, a blue so blue it'd hurt your eyes. We pick our way through the outskirts of the village, past the squat cottages and the haggard sheep huddled in their barns. The doctor follows me sullenly, a chain linking my hand to his bound wrists and the little question mark umbrella he refused to leave behind. Hard to blame him for the sulking either, if I'm honest. It can't have been an easy night, tied up before Elder's Keep, as the villagers chanted and the fires roared, and the torches burned themselves to pluttering stubs. I don't know why all the ceremony is necessary. Except, I do, of course. It's the way we do things here. That's a good enough reason for anything. The Outsmarway Road is crowded, and it doesn't take a genius to see that we're the only two heading out, while everyone else is heading in. A huge queue of farmers and families beating a path to shelter behind the village walls, their arms laden down with supplies. The doctor watches them as we pass. Clever eyes. Question mark eyes. Outsider eyes, I imagine, though he's the first outsider I ever met. Expecting a harsh winter. Winter. It's an old word. A word from the before times. The mythic times when it is said that we sailed here on great ships across a black and icy sea. These days, there are only really two seasons here in Outsmarway. Sucker, the easy time, the time of planting and harvesting and preparation. And siege, the time when we hope those preparations are enough. Siege comes every year, and succour is getting shorter all the time. We walk, and soon the ground begins to rise into the first of the Upsmarch hills, humped and hairy with brambles, the soil pale and pinched with cold. Every so often I hand him my water skin, and he drinks, sharp eyes never leaving mine. It's been hours since the crowds on the road dwindled, and with one last look around the deserted horizon, I take a thin gold ring from my pack and slip it on my finger. The doctor watches that too. I'm a traveller, he says eventually, his breath a little ragged from the slope. I crashed here. I have no quarrel with your people, with any people, really, he frowns. All right. That isn't completely true, but usually I have to at least know what's going on before I end up in chains. I think he's used to being listened to. It isn't because he's a big man, because he isn't. It isn't because he's an elder, because he's not. Though there are enough laughter lines and worry lines on his sharp face that I wouldn't like to guess his age. I think maybe somewhere else he's somebody. That's what it is. Somewhere else he speaks and people jump too. 
You can see it in the way he stands, hands resting on his lapels like a schoolmaster or a priest. And you can hear it in his voice, fast and particular as stitching thread. Is somebody, wherever he's from. Well, we're in Altsmawi now. If you could at least tell me where we're going. We come to the top of the first hill. I lift my hand and point. The doctor's gaze follows my finger. What is that? My wife had a little book once. It wasn't strictly allowed, not by the scripture, but the little glimpse of it I got didn't look too ungodly at all. Just a fat stack of pages full of stories about monsters and heroes and cities where the buildings and the bodies were so tightly packed that it never got quiet and never got cold. A silly little thing. Not worth all the trouble it caused. I remember it had a picture of a forest, and in that picture, the forest was green. I shouldn't have been surprised. Outsiders are wrong about nearly everything. The scriptures tell us so. A green forest, trees all narrow at the bottom and fat at the top, laid out neat as houses in the street. There were flowers. There were shafts of light coming down. Our forest is not green. It is not neat. There are no flowers between the trees because those fat old monsters are jealous and choke out all the light. Our forest is black and angry and it weighs down the horizon like a mountain range or a bruise. If you squint, you can see the teams of cutters desperately trying to halt its advance. That's what sieges us, I say. And every year, it is a miracle when we survive. That, Doctor, is how your death will serve. As we approach, the world gets wilder. Technically, this is all reclaimed land. The cutting teams march out at the start of every sucker, fighting and bleeding the stubborn trees to clear ground for the farmers to grow their crops. But you couldn't call it civilised. Even though the land's been cleared and soil stands bare where turnips and potatoes have been hastily grown, there are still stumps everywhere pushing through the earth like warts. Vines try and trip you with every step. Roots stand out like veins in a madman's neck. Every siege, we hold less ground. Every sucker, fewer things grow. You're really not even curious. The doctor asks. Frustration is plain on his face, like I'm a student failing to grasp the obvious. A box falls out of the sky, a man falls out of a box, and your elders just decide to chain him up and send him to die. Is that how you treat all the strangers who come to your village? Ours is not a complicated faith. It dates back to the before times, the great voyage when a soul was chosen each year to serve and die, so that the rest could live. Now, though the voyage is over, the tradition remains. Siege comes, and the forest advances. Only a life service can hold it in check, buy us a little breathing space until next sucker. It's a trade, just like life in Altsmarwe is a trade. That's what the elders tell us. We all have to pay to keep the trees from our door. There is no room for selfishness in a siege. I don't know nothing about a box, sir, I say mildly. 
I shouldn't be talking to him at all, but I was raised polite, and it's hard not to talk to someone who will not stop talking at you. Besides, what does it matter where he's going? And yes, that is what the elders do with strangers. He stares at me. Why? Because that means a year when one of us doesn't have to go. The doctor draws himself up, which doesn't take long. He really is a small man. Now listen to me, madam, he says gravely. I don't think I've ever been called madam before. If this strange forest is waging some sort of war on your people, I can be of far more assistance alive than dead. I've travelled the known universe. I've... Can you hew? I ask, pointing at the cutting team nearest to us. They're totally intent on their task. Siege is nearly here. Already the branches are shivering or jerking out of the path of the axe. Another couple of hours, maybe, and these scarred, sweating men and women will sling down their tools and run, laden down with the firewood we'll desperately need when the temperature falls and writhing, slashing vines are scratching at our doors. I'm more comfortable with an umbrella, the doctor says, and I snort. Not much use here. We're close enough now to the forest's edge for me to make out the tree trunks, each one wide as a barn, the bark stone grey and stone tough. Sheets of moss hang down like green waterfalls, blurring where one tree ends and another begins, until you could be forgiven for believing that it is all one tree, a single organism growing outwards in all directions until the whole world is wrapped in its roots, a near-solid mass of tangled, vicious life. It's beautiful, in a way the doctor says quietly, which just shows how much of an outsider he is. You humans have a thing about forests, a fear of them, or a love. I think there's a part of every human that remembers when forests were all you knew and you lived and died under the eyes of trees. He sounds so much like her in that moment. I have to fix my gaze on the forest edge until the blurring in my eyes goes away. That's when I see it. The tremble in the trees. It isn't that I don't understand the concept, the doctor is saying. Plenty of human cultures attempt to bargain with nature. Sawin, the Viking blood sacrifices, Marzana, the Chimu tribes. The cutting teams have noticed it too. Some are backing away. Others are stuffing a last few logs into sacks. A few are already running. But nature isn't a thug. You can buy off or bribe. The doctor is still talking. You're putting human motivations on a natural process. Forests can't be bought off with a sacrifice. He smirks. Actually smirks. What's the going rate for a time lord, anyway? A few extra turnips? The forest erupts. The motion is stilted and painful as a birth. The entire forest edge advancing with a flexing, deafening creak. The rear line of cutters simply vanish. Those caught on the fringes shriek as branches lunge like snakes, tangling in limbs and hair and lifting them bodily into the green and hungry dark. The others drop their tools and flee. That's impossible the doctor says in horror. That's 
siege. In two days, all this land will be covered by trees. In a week, the forest will be at Altsmarway's walls, unless we do as tradition demands, as we have always done, from the years of the great voyage to the long years living at this monster's edge. Someone is chosen. They are taken to the forest. They serve. They die to soften the siege. I don't say it to hurt him. I don't say it to frighten him neither. It's just the way things are. It's what we learn as children. It's what they told me when they took my wife away. If I were a braver woman, I would have asked who reported her for reading that infernal book. But the lessons of our childhood are deep and strangling roots. We don't question. Not in Outsmarway. Questions are for sinners. And everyone around here knows where sinners go. There are no roads by which you enter the forest, and the fact that we can enter at all proves it is a thinking thing. It's no accident, the gap we find where a dying tree's slow, mulchy descent has pushed its smaller siblings out of the way. It's no coincidence that the ground here is clear of bush and scrub. The forest knows we're coming, and it has given us a path. Beneath the trees, it's the difference between watching a lake from the shore and swimming in its depths. Outsmarwe has a music, the wind's whistling shriek and the chop and clatter of the cutting teams. But in here, there is nothing but the groan of trees and the cacophony of birds. Thousands upon thousands of them flit and dart above us, chattering like raindrops as they shelter from the cold. It is the only thing about the forest I do not hate. Nature quiets itself when humans are nearby, for fear of being found. Here the birds are fearlessly and delightedly loud. Explain it to me, the doctor says. He's noticed the path the forest is leaving. I can almost hear his mind working beneath his sweat-streaked brow. Explain how the process works. I don't know what more I can tell you. Because you don't want to? Or because you don't know? There's no fear in his voice. I'm used to fear. I expect anger or bargaining or quiet acceptance. It's a lot like grief, being chosen for the forest. Except the person you're grieving for is yourself. Instead, he sounds curious. The sacrifice of a human slows the growth of the trees, stops them overrunning your village. Does giving two people stop it entirely? What if you give it to a short person? Does that only slow it a little? What about a family? What about a child? If the deal you've made with this forest is going to claim my life, I should at least understand the terms. His words dig into me like burrs. Speculation is the province of the elders, but we've all noticed that sieges are getting longer and suckers shorter, as if the sacrifices we give are pleasing the forest less and less each time. Curiosity, I say leadenly, is a sin. He laughs, hard and flat. Birds flit closer, amused at the sound. I've already been marked for sacrifice. Is there more trouble I could be in? His eyes turn shrewd. And what about you? Me? Why are you here? I'm here because I'm a sinner, apparently. What about you? Is this escort detail a privilege or a punishment? 
He is too small a man to be frightening, and yet I find myself backing away from the iron glint in his eye. Are you the one who does it? Is there a blood-stained altar and a knife somewhere in our future? No, I snap, shocked at the thought. Then who? A high priest? A druid? Does the forest do it itself? I don't know. I... Now, he could be an elder. His voice rings out, sharp and commanding, certain, even when questioning, even when digging at the very roots of what I believe to be true. You've brought people out here before. You've let them be sacrificed and you don't know? What do you do when this miracle starts? Do you watch? Do you look away? It's already started. The doctor thinks he is clever. He imagines this forest as merely the ground on which individual trees lie and not a mind that watches and waits and decides. The heart of our faith, the centre of our seasons, the chooser of who lives and dies. For all the doctor's questions, he has not listened at all. He hasn't noticed the birds have stopped singing. Goodbye, doctor, I say, snapping my end of the chain round a low-hanging branch, leaving him tethered tight. I have to go. Back to your wife? His voice is idle, almost cruel. His fingers trace the shape of one of the question marks on his vest. Do not be drawn in. I have left many people in this place. Villagers I knew. People I liked. Sometimes I think the forest does not open a path to make it easy for the sacrifice to get here. It does so to make it easy for me to walk away. I am not curious. I am not a sinner. I have no desire to see what happens when the forest takes its due. Not again. How did you know I was married? So, you are capable of asking questions, he says, once again the schoolmaster. Good, let me tell you what I know. That's not what I asked. You're human, he says. But this isn't earth. The soil isn't right. The winter's too cinnamony. But the trees around you are earth natives, and you're baseline human, so this must be a colony world. So, I snap. The words is saying, earth, colony, mean nothing to me. But the stories do say we travelled, a treacherous voice whispers. We sailed here on ships of great iron. So, the doctor says, each word needle sharp. I'm guessing first great human migration, 25th century. I can tell it by the stitching on your tunic and the way you drop your R's. They genetically engineered the trees they brought with them to be hardier, to grow quicker. But I've never seen anything like this. Unless, what did you call it? Service. In service to a miracle. Why not call it sacrifice? Why not call it what it is? Why are you all so convinced it's the only way? It is the only way, I snarl. The trees are shaking. Something is coming, and it is nearly here. You don't believe that. I do! The doctor throws up his hands helplessly. Why? Because it has to be. All the fight goes out of my voice. The shaking has stopped. Everything is quiet now, as if the forest is listening too. I'm no scholar. 
I just do what I'm told. And if this isn't the only way, it means that all those people, our fathers, our mothers, our wives, our husbands, their sacrifice meant nothing at all. It's no answer, and he knows it. But whatever question he was about to fling at me has no chance to leave his lips. From out of the green shadows they come. Twice as tall as humans, but silent for all that size. Towering bodies, woven from vines and twisted wood. They look like the dolls out Smarway children, bind together from twigs, fat-bellied and skinny-limbed, with bobbing heads of bark. The children call them angels. The elders call them servants, because there is no holier thing than serving the purpose you were given. Roses bloom where their eyes should be. The claws of the forest servants close around the doctor, snipping his chain like shears. And he does not fight as they bear him away. He just stares at me, as she did all those years ago. I make my way back, the path the forest cleared for me already becoming overgrown. The doctor's umbrella is in my hand. He dropped it when they took him its red handle bright against the gloom. Shoots are struggling through the soil. Ivy links like fingers, and I have to pick my steps. Is this escort detail a privilege or a punishment? When I arrive back at Outsmarway, the elders will be waiting. I'll receive an extra ration to make up for my exertion, a fair trade for the work I do. You've brought people out here before, You've let them be sacrificed, and you don't know. Magdala, last year, she was pious. She went when she was told. Gunthry, the year before, who was old, older than me, and ready to do his part. Timon, who fought and begged and bargained, as if there was anything he could give me that the elders wouldn't take. This is my duty and I perform it for the village. What do you do when this miracle starts? It is proper night now beneath the trees. Moonlight stabs down like silver thread. The forest's edge is much advanced since this morning, but it is not long before I see flashes of open ground ahead, tatters of red cloth and tools discarded in the cutting team's frantic rush to escape. I will be at Outsmarway by morning. The doctor's death will hold back the siege. Until next season, and the next, and maybe, someday, the bitter questions I hold in my heart will be asked, and then I will be sent here too, to have them answered. Something glitters at the base of a trunk, half hidden by climbing vines. I kneel, tucking the umbrella, under a strap of my pack, and brush away leaves. The glinting thing is already half buried. In a day, it will be like it was never there. My fingers wrap round the handle and pull. I don't know what lies at the forest's heart. I don't know what happened to my wife, or what is happening to the doctor, and whether interfering with it will doom out Smarwe, its elders, and my faith. But as I stare down at the axe in my hands, I realise I am curious to find out.
If entering the forest the first time was like slipping into a lake, it is now like trying to sail one under a storm. It does not want me to return for the doctor. Branches gouge, roots squirm underfoot. It feels as if every burr and thorn is seeking my flesh, and the tough woolen clothing of Outsmarwe proves no defence at all. The axe is a different story. The forest cuts me, and I cut back, hacking a path through bush and vine. Lift and fall, slash and crop, a lifetime of fear and anger in each and every blow. It is punishing, the most punishing thing I have ever attempted in my life. My arms weep sweat, my cuts ooze blood. If the forest's attention were not so squarely on its sacrifice, I think I would have made no headway at all. But like a great beast, absently flicking away flies as it feasts, the forest's mind is elsewhere, and so, step by aching step, I advance. The axe is weapon and compass both. After a lifetime of following orders, resistance becomes my guide. I take the most tangled route, go where the branch is not the tightest to try to force me back. I cut and I hew and I climb and I crawl. Hours pass. Days, maybe. I begin to think I'm dreaming when I see the great metal shapes jutting from the undergrowth. Fragments, like debris from a wreck. Some are nearly invisible beneath coats of moss. Others are so tall they fight the trees for space. Sometimes the ground beneath my feet is soil. Other times, it is a dirty, artificial, white material I have never seen before. In some places, the white material is peeling back, and I see iron underneath, more iron than I have ever seen in one place. Iron ships, I think blearily. Is this where they came to rest? And then the half-blunt axe, now as much a part of me as my hands or my heart, hits nothing but air. My exhausted eyes refocus. There is space here to breathe. There is soft grass underfoot, broken only here and there by the swelling of roots. No, not roots. Cabling. A tangle of white pipes that pulse and purr. I freeze. A forest servant, three metres of bulbous body and skeletal limb, steps over my kneeling form without so much as a whisper. It reaches its talons, each one long as a child's arm, up into the canopy. And I have to scramble as cut branches begin to rain down. It's pruning the trees, caring for them. I see another on its knees, repairing a stretch of broken pipe with swift, smooth motions of its fingers. And then another three, working as a team to fell an entire tree, blade fingers flashing as they take it apart. The tree does not resist them, as I have seen with the cutting teams. Instead, it falls with something like relief. In the silence that follows, I hear a voice. You know, it'd be far politer to first explain why you're killing me, and then kill me, don't you think? The doctor. Still asking questions. I could laugh if I had the breath. Instead, I push my wobbly legs into a run. I find him in a clearing, 
beneath the largest tree I have ever seen. You could have fit the entire village of Outsmarwe within the circumference of its massive trunk, its bark as thickly wrinkled as the folds of a brain. I have seen trees grow up and around tools, submerge them in their flesh, but this tree is so huge that it has gathered up and swallowed up great pieces of the broken iron ships so they jut out like thorns. At its base, about head height off the ground, there is a great horizontal slash. Like an axe scar, two metres tall and thirty across, white pipes spill from the gap in their hundreds to sink deep into the earth, and when light pulses from inside the scar, the pipes pulse too. This is the heart of the forest. This is the tree from which all other trees grow, and beneath it lies the doctor with a forest servant's hands round his throat. On reflection, he croaks, one hand jabbing weakly at the air. I think I'd prefer an altar. I start forward, axe raised, but as I do so, another servant drops from the canopy above, landing hard on the hooked talons of its feet. It rises, fully a metre taller than me, head bobbing on its stem neck and lunges with a scything hand. Blocking the blow with the axe nearly throws my old body from its feet. Doctor, I shout, trying to circle around him and keep my attacker at bay. What should I do? The doctor clips the creature, attacking him across the face, and when it rears back, I catch my first proper glimpse of what's happening. The forest servant isn't strangling him. He's pushing him into the roots beneath the tree. The bark is open like cracked, dry lips and is trying to suck him down with fitful gulps like an elder working a lozenge beneath their gums. Renewal. The voice comes from everywhere and nowhere. Renewal requires service. The forest, the forest is speaking and its voice is so world-shatteringly loud that beside it the doctor's is barely a gasp. The pipes! Cut the pipes! He must be mad. There are hundreds of them. Where would I start? And then I see, deep in the gap of the gargantuan tree, the pipes come together like veins into a single artery, thick as a waist. I don't know if my axe will even dent it, but I have to try. A wild swing makes the nearest servant jerk back, bemused and wary. I don't think they fear me at all, but I think the forest has a long memory and this place has suffered under the simple technology of an iron cutting edge. More servants are gathering now too, sickle claws gleaming with sap. Move, woman! I hear the words in her voice, and I run like I have never run before. I vault across the tangle of roots swallowing the doctor and leave half the skin of my palms on the rough bark as I half climb, half scramble my way into the cut above. A clawed hand hooks the back of my coat and I fling it off clumsily before the servant can use it to drag me from my feet, then turn to bring the axe hard into its face, sending it staggering into the path of its siblings. 
it buys me a handful of heartbeats. I clamber to the heart of the cot and raise my axe above the drumming, pumping pipe. Do it! the doctor shouts. Only his head still remains exposed. No! How did you know? I ask. The servants are forcing their gangling bodies into the cot. One swipes, the talons passing so close they ruffle my hair. I don't know what flows through this artery, but it may as well be faith. The faith of a hundred generations all the way back to the Black Sea and the Iron Ships. Those first people, one a year, who sacrificed their service so that others could live. How did you know I didn't believe? Because you still mourn her, the doctor says. I bring the axe down, and it stops, an inch from the skin of the pipe. Attempt to hard interrupt mainline grow fuel pump line detected. Would you like to access settings? Yes, the doctor shouts. Very much so. I tug on the axe, but it won't move. Something invisible is holding it dead in the air. The servants have stopped climbing over each other too, pulling themselves out of their tangle to stare back at where the doctor is emerging from his coffin of roots. Tentatively, I let go of the axe. It stays hanging in the air. These old terraforming systems are robust, the doctor says, panting. Practically indestructible. All sorts of defences built in if you try to interfere with them. Doctor, what are you... He bends down to pick up his umbrella from where it came free from my pack, dusting it off with the back of a hand. Thing is, they are here to make your world livable. If you do try to interfere with them, they assume you've got a good reason. So they do the software equivalent of letting you speak to the manager. My expression makes him grin. Terraforming, my dear, is the act of making an inhospitable world hospitable. Standard equipment for a colony ship. It's a complicated process. You need a machine that can change the soil, a machine that can change the air, a machine that can even change the seasons. Machines that won't pollute the land while they're doing it. You know what I call a machine like that? I shake my head numbly. A forest. He waves his umbrella around him. But this one isn't doing its job. The machine is broken. It needs, well, it needs a service. He places a hand on one of the forest servant's chests. It cocks its head like a dog expecting a rub behind the ears. There's a seed of truth in every religion. That's what makes them so pervasive. And your people have been talking about service for years. Sending someone to the heart of the forest. Ritual is just another word for interface, after all. I thought it was a sacrifice at first. So did you, though you didn't use the word. I step back from the floating axe, out to the lip of the cut in the tree. From my vantage point, I can see more forest servants loping from the trees. A hundred, two hundred, their wickedly bladed limbs hanging loosely by their sides. The roses in their eye sockets shiver in the breeze. 
Not angels. Not demons. Gardeners. That's what the forest was asking for. Servants to care for it. I don't know what happened to the original colonists, whether your records were damaged or time and hardship just made you forget. But it's no wonder the seasons are out of sync if you've been overfeeding the machine without... Without what? Jabbing his umbrella into the soft earth so it stands unaided, the doctor slips his hand into his pocket, then withdraws it to reveal a whirring metal tool. I wondered why you didn't call it sacrifice. It's an odd little detail, a little holdover of truth from before things became so clouded. I love details like that. He smiles. It isn't sacrifice if you know they're coming back. The tool in his hand purrs, and the pipes tremble and twitch. I flinch as the axe suddenly falls harmlessly to the ground. The forest servants clutch their heads as if in pain, or in release. Those long, branch-like fingers tighten and pull. Bark peels away in curls of grey. Petals fall like snow. Organic exoskeletal life suits, the doctor says. The ultimate healthcare package. It's a machine meant to bring life. It doesn't want anyone to die. The closest servant splits like a nutshell. And a person falls out, shaking, blinking like a newborn. The massive frame of the creature begins to disintegrate into ash and particles of bark, and the person looks up with utter confusion on their face. It's Magdala. Last year's sacrifice. I was dreaming, she says, half to herself. I was dreaming of a forest. Factory settings re-established. Term of service, one year. Bark splits with a sigh, and the hollow of roots that nearly swallowed the doctor reopens. I look down from the gap. Something sad has entered the doctor's eyes. I'm sorry, he says. I've reset it, so it will release on the year, instead of just holding them. That should stop the out-of-control growth as well. But the forest still needs maintenance. It still needs a servant. Servant after servant cracks open. Men and women spilling out onto the grass. And among them, there are flowers dusting her shoulders. There are petals in her hair. I reach my hand up, suddenly conscious she hasn't aged a day. But I am old. I am old now, with the waiting. And then she smiles. She smiles like springtime. It's all right, I respond. I know what I have to do. Next winter isn't that far away.